Section four of the Life of Richard Nash, Esquire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Richard Nash, Esquire, Late Master of Ceremonies at Bath, by Oliver Goldsmith. Edited by Peter Cunningham. He began, therefore, to reign without a rival and like other kings had his mistresses flatterers enemies and calumniators the amusements of the place however wore a very different aspect from what they did formerly regularity repressed pride and that lessened people of fortune became fit for society let the morose and grave censure an attention to forms and ceremonies and rail at those whose only business it is to regulate them but, though ceremony is very different from politeness, no country was ever yet polite that was not first ceremonious. The natural gradation of breeding begins in savage disgust, proceeds to indifference, improves into attention, by degrees refines into ceremonious observance, and the trouble of being ceremonious at length produces politeness, elegance, and ease. There is, therefore, some merit in mending society, even in one of the inferior steps of this gradation. And no man was more happy in this respect than Nash. In every nation there are enough who have no other business or care but that of buying pleasure, and he taught them who bid at such an auction the art of procuring what they sought without diminishing the pleasure of others. The city of Bath by such assiduity soon became the theatre of summer amusements for all people of fashion, and the manner of spending the day there must amuse any but such as disease or spleen had made uneasy to themselves. The following is a faint picture of the pleasures that scene affords. Upon a stranger's arrival at Bath he is welcomed by a peal of the abbey bells, and in the next place by the voice and music of the city waits. For these civilities the ringers have generally a present made them of half a guinea, and the weights of half a crown or more, in proportion to the person's fortune, generosity, or ostentation. These customs, though disagreeable, are however liked, or they would not continue. The greatest incommodity attending them is the disturbance the bells must give the sick. But the pleasure of knowing the name of every family that comes to town recompenses the inconvenience." Invalids are fond of news, and upon the first sound of the bells, everybody sends out to inquire for whom they ring. Footnote. No city, dear mother, this city excels in charming sweet sounds both of fiddles and bells. I thought, like a fool, that they only would ring for a wedding or judge or the birth of a king. But I found twas for me that the good-natured people rung so hard that I thought they would pull down the steeple so I took out my purse as I hate to be shabby, and paid all the men when they came from the abbey. Yet some think it strange they should make such a riot in a place where sick folk would be glad to be quiet. If a broker or statesman, a gamester or peer, a naturalized Jew or a bishop comes here, or an eminent trader in cheese should retire, just to think of the business the state may require, with horns and with trumpets, with fiddles and drums, they'll strive to divert him as soon as he comes. Tis amazing they find such a number of ways of employing his thoughts all the time that he stays. 
Anstey, New Bath Guide, 1766, Letter 5. End footnote. After the family is thus welcomed to Bath, it is the custom for the master of it to go to the public places, and subscribe two guineas at the assembly houses towards the balls and music in the pump-house, for which he is entitled to three tickets every ball night. His next subscription is a crown, half a guinea or a guinea, according to his rank and quality, for the liberty of walking in the private walks belonging to Simpson's assembly house. A crown or half a guinea is also given to the booksellers, for which the gentleman is to have what books he pleases to read at his lodgings, and at the coffee-house another subscription is taken for pen, ink, and paper, for such letters as the subscriber shall write at it during his stay. The ladies, too, may subscribe to the booksellers, and to an house by the pump-room, for the advantage of reading the news, and for enjoying each other's conversation. Things being thus adjusted, the amusements of the day are generally begun by bathing, which is no unpleasing method of passing away an hour or so. The baths are five in number. On the southwest side of the abbey church is the king's bath, which is an oblong square. The walls are full of niches, and at every corner are steps to descend into it. This bath is said to contain 427 tons and 50 gallons of water and on its rising out of the ground over the springs, it is sometimes too hot to be endured by those who bathe therein. Adjoining to the king's bath, there is another called the queen's bath. This is of a more temperate warmth, as borrowing its water from the other. In the southwest part of the city are three other baths, that is, the hot bath, which is not much inferior in heat to the king's bath, and contains fifty-three tons, two hogsheads, and eleven gallons of water, the cross bath, which contains fifty-two tons, three hogsheads, and eleven gallons, and the leper's bath, which is not so much frequented as the rest. The king's bath, according to the best observations, will fill in about nine hours and a half. The hot bath in about eleven hours and a half, and the cross-bath in about the same time. The hours for bathing are commonly between six and nine in the morning, and the baths are every morning supplied with fresh water. For when the people have done bathing, the sluices in each bath are pulled up, and the water is carried off by drains into the river Avon. In the morning the lady is brought in a close chair, dressed in her bathing clothes, to the bath. Footnote. This morning, dear mother, as soon as twas light, I was waked by a noise that astonished me quite, for in Tabitha's chamber I heard such a clatter, I could not conceive what the deuce was the matter, and would you believe, I went up and found her, in a blanket with two lusty fellows around her, who both seemed a-going to carry her off in a little black box just the size of a coffin. And pray, says I, Tabitha, what is your drift, to be covered in flannel instead of a shift. Ibid, letter six, and footnote. And, being in the water, the woman who attends presents her with a little floating dish like a basin, into which the lady puts a handkerchief, a snuff-box, and a nosegay. She then traverses the bath, if a novice, with a guide, if otherwise by herself. Footnote. And of all the fine sights I have seen, my dear mother, I never expect to behold such another, how the ladies did giggle and set up their clacks, all the while an old woman was rubbing their backs. 
it was a glorious sight to behold the fair sex all waiting with gentlemen up to their necks and view them so prettily tumble and sprawl in a great smoking kettle as big as our hall anstey letter six and footnote and having amused herself thus while she thinks proper calls for her chair and returns to her lodgings the amusement of bathing is immediately succeeded by a general assembly of people at the pump-room some for pleasure and some to drink the hot waters three glasses at three different times is the usual portion for every drinker footnote odds bobs how delighted i was unawares with the fiddles i heard in the room above stairs for music is wholesome the doctors all think for ladies that bathe and for ladies that drink and that's the opinion of robin our driver who whistles his nags while they stand at the river they say it is right that for every glass a tune you should take that the water may pass ibid letter six and footnote and the intervals between every glass are enlivened by the harmony of a small band of music as well as by the conversation of the gay the witty or the forward from the pump-room the ladies from time to time withdraw to a female coffee-house and from thence return to their lodgings for breakfast the gentlemen withdraw to their coffee-houses to read the papers or converse on the news of the day with a freedom and ease not to be found in the metropolis people of fashion make public breakfasts at the assembly-houses to which they invite their acquaintances and they sometimes order private concerts or when so disposed attend lectures on the arts and sciences which are frequently taught there in a pretty superficial manner so as not to tease the understanding while they afford the imagination some amusement the private concerts are performed in the ballrooms the tickets a crown each concert breakfasts at the assembly house sometimes make also a part of the morning's amusement here the expenses of which are defrayed by a subscription among the men persons of rank and fortune who can perform are admitted into the orchestra and find pleasure in joining with the performers thus we have the tedious morning fairly over when noon approaches and church if any please to go there is done some of the company appear upon the parade and other public walks where they continue to chat and amuse each other till they have formed parties for the play cards or dancing for the evening another part of the company divert themselves with reading in the booksellers shops or are generally seen taking the air and exercise some on horseback some in coaches some walk in the meadows round the town winding along the side of the river avon and the neighbouring canal while others are seen scaling some of those romantic precipices that overhang the city when the hour of dinner draws nigh and the company are returned from their different recreations the provisions are generally served with the utmost elegance and plenty their mutton butter fish and fowl are all allowed to be excellent and their cookery still exceeds their meat after dinner is over and the evening prayers ended the company meet a second time at the pump-house from this they retire to the walks and from thence go to drink tea at the assembly-houses and the rest of the evenings are concluded either with balls plays or visits a theatre was erected in the year seventeen o five by subscription by people of the highest rank who permitted their arms to be engraven on the inside of the house as a public testimony of their liberality towards it 
every Tuesday and Friday evening, is concluded with a public ball, the contributions to which are so numerous that the price of each ticket is trifling. Thus Bath yields a continued rotation of diversions, and people of all ways of thinking, even from the libertine to the Methodist, have it in their power to complete the day with employments suited to their inclinations. In this manner every amusement soon improved under Mr. Nash's administration. The magistrates of the city found that he was necessary and useful, and took every opportunity of paying the same respect to his fictitious royalty that is generally extorted by real power. The same satisfaction a young lady finds upon being singled out at her first appearance, or an applauded poet on the success of his first tragedy, influenced him. All admired him as an extraordinary character, and some who knew no better as a very fine gentleman. He was perfectly happy in their little applause, and affected at length something particular in his dress, behavior, and conversation. His equipage was sumptuous and he usually travelled to Tunbridge in a post-chariot and six greys, with outriders, footmen, French horns, and every other appendage of expensive parade. He always wore a white hat, and, to apologize for the singularity, said he did it purely to secure it from being stolen. His dress was tawdry, though not perfectly genteel. He might be considered as a beau of several generations, and in his appearance he, in some measure, mixed the fashions of the last age with those of the present. He perfectly understood elegant expense, and generally passed his time in the very best company, if persons of the first distinction deserve that title. But I hear the reader now demand what finances were to support all this finery, or where the treasures that gave him such frequent opportunities of displaying his benevolence or his vanity— to answer this, we must now enter upon another part of his character, his talents as a gamester, for by gaming alone, at that period of which I speak, he kept up so very genteel an appearance. When he first figured at Bath, there were few laws against this destructive amusement. The gaming-table was the constant resource of despair and indigence, and frequent ruin of opulent fortunes. Wherever people of fashion came, needy adventurers were generally found in waiting. With such Bath swarmed, and among this class Mr. Nash was certainly to be numbered in the beginning, only with this difference, that he wanted the corrupt heart, too commonly attending a life of expedience. For he was generous, humane, and honorable, even though by profession a gamester. End of section 4